Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49ers fans? It is Zay Naffy back with Levin Black with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And as always, we are sponsored by thequbsnake.com for accurate predictions on any NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools. Head to thequbsnake.com. And Levin, man, it's another victory podcast. I love these. They're my favorite kind. And this one, this game... It was never really in doubt. Like I was watching the first sequence and, and it started off well. It was like, okay, three and out with an Armstead sack. That's great. And then they come back with the Goodman touchdown right after that. I'm like, okay, that's great. Cincinnati ans- answers with the touchdown and that's okay. It's, it's tied. And then the Niners answer again. It's just that constant back and forth. And every time Cincinnati at the beginning of the game answered, the 49ers answered back. And I, you know what? This is probably the most complete game I've seen from them since Kyle Shanahan got hired. Am I crazy here? Uh, no, definitely the most complete game since Shanahan's been hired. You know, there hasn't been many games at all that you would say were anywhere close to being complete since Shanahan's been hired for a variety of reasons. But this is definitely the best I've felt after two weeks in a long time. I don't even can't even remember the feeling of being feeling this good because it's not just that they're two and zero; it's that they've pretty much dominated both games. You know, the first week was a little bit closer, but. This week, they truly dominated. It might be the most dominating performance of the week outside of New England playing Miami. Uh, so it's not just a win, but it's a dominating win. And boy, I can't wait to go to work tomorrow and nobody will be able to smack talk me or, you know, put me down because the Niners are 0 2 or 1 1. Be nice to finally go in with my head held high 2 0. It's been a while. It's been a while since they've been 2-0. The last time they were 2-0 was in the Jim Harbaugh days. I believe the year that they went to the Super Bowl in 2012. That was the last time they were 2-0. And the last time they were 2-0 on the road was all the way back in 1989, also a Super Bowl year, but that year they won it. And that was during that historic streak of road games that they won. I believe it was, uh, or the historic streak of games that they won. Uh, I believe it was 19 games and the Patriots beat that recently uh, in the past 10 years. So really, I, I really feel like they're, kind of growing up right for our eyes. That doesn't it seem like that? Like they seem like they're taking these gargantuan steps that in years past, like they wouldn't have won that game in years past against Tampa Bay. They wouldn't have performed that well against Cincinnati today as it, if they, if they played in, in the past couple of years, like this team, they seem to be gelling and they seem to kind of, they're, they're getting more and more comfortable. Like if you look at Jimmy, for example, and, and we're going to talk a lot about Jimmy, if you look how Jimmy, look at how Jimmy played today. Like he had that the the terrible interception. First of all, I want to talk about that first before we talk about all the other good play. There are times I think that with Jimmy Garoppolo, you're going to see that gunslinger attitude. You're going to have a lot of throws on the money, a lot of a lot of really professional elite type reads that he makes, and you're going to have two or three throws that you're like, Jimmy, what were you thinking? Let's. I actually tweeted that out too. I was like, Jimmy, what are you what are you thinking? There were four bangles in that area, and I know that. The that Debo needed to sell that sell his part of the route better to get Richie James clear, but at the same time, it's you you can't make that throw. Like he's done that two two weeks in a row now, where it's like, what were you thinking? Type of throws. However, they're winning in spite of that, and I think that it's only his twelfth career start, and you have to treat him much like a rookie. I know that people say that, oh well, he's been 
in the league for five years. But my analogy is that when a person is on a plane as a passenger, much like Jimmy was kind of like a passenger on his teams in New England, he didn't play very much, right? When you're on a plane and a passenger, it doesn't mean that you can go in and be a pilot and sit in the cockpit and be like, I'm going to, I'm going to fly this plane just because I'm on the plane. doesn't mean I can fly it. And I think that the same thing holds true with Jimmy. Like just because you're on the bench doesn't mean that you can go in and actually perform the same way that an elite starter does. Like anybody who's played sports at any level in their life knows that when you're actually in the game, it's completely different than when you're on the bench. There, there is no comparison. So I thought that that interception is one of the things he's, he's going to work through. He's going to say like, look, I can't fit it in there. I have to live for another down. Uh, the, the play call I didn't really like because it was second and long and they had just, so Levin, the, the, the way that they had just come out of that play was basically before this, it was penalty, timeout, penalty, pick. That's how that sequence went. And to me, it's like, if you're Kyle Shanahan at some point, I'm not blaming Kyle on this. It's Jimmy's fault for throwing that pick. But if you're Kyle Shanahan, you have to keep the can- the handcuffs on him. You know, Jimmy's a gunslinger. You know, he's going to try to throw it in that tight window. You know, he's going to throw it into coverage. But at that point, you have to say, look, we're going to throw a check down or a screen or something like that. And we're going to live for another down. He did the same thing last week on second and long. It was second and 19 last week. We threw the pick. It was second and 20 on Sunday when he, when he played the Bengals, when he threw that pick, he has to be better than that. He has to know better. It just kind of lines up with, uh, I think what I said in the, the show right before the season started, when I predicted, I thought uh, Garoppolo was going to have a lot of yards and touchdowns and that he would set the franchise record with yards. We haven't, quite seen him get to that level yet but i think he'll still get there but i also said he will be prone to interceptions i uh, i think i said he was going to throw 15 or 16 interceptions this year which is right around the pace he's on it's just that's the type of quarterback he is he's going to make some tremendous throws that not many people can make because he has such great accuracy and then he's going to make some throws that leave you scratching your head and i think as you mentioned, as he gets more game experience, the boneheaded type plays will become less and less. But this being his hopefully first full season starting, he's going to have to go through those growing pains. And they are growing pains, even though he's been in the league a long time. Uh, I think we mentioned last show, you know, he, he had the third least amount of starts of any starting quarterback in week one uh, in the NFL. So he is still a very inexperienced quarterback. You're just going to have to live with those growing pains. And as long as the team's putting up the points they've been putting up, I think you can live with the, the interceptions that he's thrown so far as bad as they are. You know, the, the, the Niners are averaging 36 points a game at this point through week two, which uh, it was made on Twitter, but uh, I'm going to kind of take it here to, to use it in our podcast. But the 36 points per game is the most points per game of any team that has not played Miami yet. And mm-hmm. Miami is obviously a dumpster fire that nobody wants to play for. So you kind of got to take the teams that have gotten to play Miami already early in the season with a grain of salt. So it could be quite possible that the Niners end up being one of the top offenses in points per game in the league come season in, and they're already right up there. Right. So that's the bad from Jimmy, right? Let's talk about some of the good and we'll start right there, right? With the points per game. This is the fifth time in seven games. The Niners have scored over 30 points with Jimmy at the helm. And in the previous 74 starts that the 49ers had dating back to the end of the Harbaugh era, they only reached that plateau seven times. So this team say what you want about his decision-making and, and the whole Nick Mullins thing. And I'm sure God, I'm sure that like the talking heads tomorrow are just going to focus on the interception and nothing else. 
because that's what they do. Uh, It's just the team looks different when Jimmy's leading it. They just play better. And I can't put my finger on it because it's not like he's, especially since 2017 ended, like in the three games that he played last year and the two this year, it's not like he's carrying the team on his back like he did in 2017. It's not like he's willing them to victory, but they just look better. They just look like they're better run. They just look like they're more explosive. They look like they are a much more competitive unit when Jimmy's in. And I, I don't know if it's his leadership or intangibles, or I don't know what it is. It's just, they, they just play better when he's around. So he's now, this this was his his 12th start. He's now eight and two as a, as a member of the 49ers. This is his fifth win on the road. And they put up some huge numbers on offense today. Jimmy himself was 17 and 25 for 297, three touchdowns in the pick. But it could have been more. Like Debo dropped a pass over the middle. Uh, that could have been more. And there were just some some small little things they cleaned up. And for those that say, like, yeah, it could have been like the 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 screen to Mostert and he and he ran for the touchdown, like that was all rack. But at the same time, you have to remember that he's also making the correct read on that play and selling that play action fake and selling that screen, the misdirection on the screen. He's doing all of those things that previous 49ers quarterbacks couldn't even do. So you really see what a Kyle Shanahan offense is is kind of capable of. And I feel like Jimmy was way more comfortable this week than he was last week. I mean, God, the, the offense put up 500 plus yards. They put up the seventh most yards in 49ers history, 557 yards. That's, that's historic. And this group who doesn't really have a number one receiver, who doesn't really have like a bell cow running back, who doesn't, who doesn't really know what they have in Jimmy Garoppolo. Like they were historic today. And for the last 45 minutes of the game, Levin, I just chilled and I watched it. And I, I can't remember the last time I did that. And it was great. Yeah, like I said, it was a very enjoyable game. And to touch on the uh, people that would try to downgrade Jimmy's performance just by saying a lot of it was rack. Um, well, that's kind of what the West Coast offense has always been about. I mean, that that's a term that kind of came about when the Niners first came up with Bill Walsh. That's what the offense is predicated about. And I would also point out, what do you... You're going to criticize Drew Brees when he's throwing to Kamara all the time. You're going to criticize Tom Brady when he's throwing to James White or whatever pass catching. You know, he used to have Kevin Falk back in the day. I mean, it's not like it's a, a new thing. Running backs catching the ball is all the rage in the NFL. Uh, that That's what offenses are predicated about. Do some dump offs, do some screens, make the defense play up, and then go for a deep ball. And the Niners are not a unique team in doing that. So I don't really see how anybody could criticize that. Um, but yes, the, the offense really did move the ball. And I wanted to pinpoint, if I could, uh, one specific player who kind of stepped up last week. I kind of criticized the wide receivers because I think they, I don't remember the exact number, but it was seven catches for some 70 some odd yards total in mm-hmm. week one. Well, this week alone, Debo Samuel had over 80 yards as well as a touchdown in the what is probably going to be his signature, you know, the short yardage down there in the red zone. The Niners actually had a red zone touchdown, three of them in this game, actually, to be exact. Something that was a a question mark coming into the season as they were last in the NFL and touchdown percentage in the red zone last season. But Debo Samuel ran his short route there from the two-yard line and managed to get separation and get the touchdown. And I think he, he really kind of showed his potential in this game uh, you can see both in week one and in week two, Shanahan wants to get the ball in his hands because how dynamic he is after he has the ball in his hands. He essentially turns into a running back in the open field and 
a running back that's very good in the open field. Uh, what one thing I wanted to mention, and I, I've mentioned this to you before, but it was a surprise to me. I was just looking at the NFL's next gen stats. I, I love looking at those things, but just looking to see if any Niners players stood out or something jumped when looking at that. And I was looking at the fastest ball carriers so far so far this season. They list the top twenty plays for top speed reached when they have the ball in their hands. And Debo Samuel actually has two of the top twenty, both of which came from this game. Uh, one was on his uh, long reception, I think it was thirty-eight yard reception, and the other was on a five-yard run, which was his end-around run. For him to have two of the top twenty, that that's something that really showcases his speed, which is something. I mean, even for me, kind of surprised me a little bit, but I think for most fans would be kind of surprising he's that fast when he gets up to top speed the only other person in the league to have two of the top 20 fastest recorded times this season so far is Deshaun Jackson now he doesn't have the quickness of Deshaun Jackson but he definitely has that top end speed and that's a weapon in and of itself and kind of explains why Shanahan is running these wide receiver screens so much I think he's already caught three or four wide receiver screens this season and that to me was surprising. I, I feel like that's something that should be uh, brought to, to fans' attentions by us. So I wanted to bring that up. I love the way the Debo plays. He's kind of like an Anquan Bolden light, if you will, but like a faster version. Bolden was not never that fast, even when he first came in the league. But the way that he plays and the toughness that he brings, I think that it resonates with the rest of the team. They see this rookie who's not like, he's very slight of frame. Like he's not, I mean, I don't say slight of frame. He's not a big guy, right? He's a thick guy. He's built like a running back, but he's not like his, this Julio Jones type, like six right. foot four, like just linebacker playing receiver. Right? He's, he's, he's an unassuming guy. Right. But then he makes those tough catches over the middle. He did have one drop, which is fine. I mean, like basically anything Debo does this year, it's like, okay, he's a rookie. He's going to learn, right. He, he needs repetitions and needs time. Right. So uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get on him for that. And the game was already pretty much decided by the point anyways, but the way that he plays and the toughness that he brings, I love it. And I think that you're going to see Jimmy get more and more comfortable with throwing to Debo as the season goes on, because you're going to, you're going to have somebody else that's going to have to emerge as a safety outlet besides Kittle. Uh, who today only had three catches, by the way. He did have the, that one long catch um, for 36 yards, but I think that today it's funny because they tried to take Kittle away, but then everybody else kind of started glowing. Like even, as I mentioned earlier, Goodwin had that touchdown catch. He had 77 yards receiving. Mostert was was a good a good option out of the backfield. Like they, they kind of spread the ball around today. And I think that, um, by the way, uh, earlier I said that the, they had 557 yards. It was actually 572 yards. I just want to correct that stat. Uh, on offense, including uh, 259 on the ground, which which was really, really key to, I think, this victory. And um, switching from the receivers to the, to the running backs, man, Matt Breida, I, I've been saying all offseason that this guy is your, your best running back. Kyle Shanahan kind of mentioned that to the media before the game, that he's he's my best running back and he's the guy that I want carrying the ball the most and Tevin Coleman's going to kind of spell him. But Again, he had another fantastic game today, 121 yards and 12 carries. It's over 10 yards a pop, and he didn't play the entire game. They, they they were sitting him for the fourth quarter. So I think that you're slowly seeing him emerge as the the feature back. If there is a feature back in the system, I don't think that there is, but he's the closest thing, right? Where in, in Atlanta, I love to compare that backfield because Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman were similar in stature. Obviously, Tevin Coleman's here, but Devontae Freeman's similar stature to, to Matt Breida. So if they can bring that same sort of dynamic here and get, get Coleman kind of going, cause he, he looked pretty good in, in his showing last week, 
you're going to see a really dynamic backfield. And Raheem Mostert, before he broke his arm last year, he was having a great game against the Raiders. I think that he's he's arguably the fastest gunner in the NFL, so you need him on special teams. But the way that he runs the ball, like he's he's a north-south runner. He's not a shifty guy. He hits that hole so hard, and he's able to, to run over guys and create contact, and he's not afraid of that. So throwing Jeff Wilson there, who had a pretty good game, had his moments today. And, and I think that you're – you very quietly assembled a pretty dangerous backfield that's really going to be underrated around this league. Yeah, and it really comes down to getting the right running back for the system. You know, with those outside runs, there's a reason why a lot of the Niners running backs in the Shanahan era have been pretty similar in stature. They're all smaller, fast, quick guys that make one cut and go. They're not dancers. They're not going to be dancing around behind the back behind the line of scrimmage, but they are very fast and they can be shifty once they're in the open field. Um, and, and that works with the Niners offense of going to the outside. It, it's not an offense that somebody like Ezekiel Elliott would, you know, obviously he would be good because he's such a great running back, but he might not be as good as he is because he's not all that quick to get into the outside. And that's why you have a Brita that is, so incredibly quick and and fast. That's why he has the nickname he has. But it works. And then the thing I really liked, I looked up the the rushing graphs for on next gen stats for both uh, Mostert and Brita in this game. And for both of them, they both found success going to each side of the field. It wasn't just oh they all dominated going over to McGlinchey or going over to the other side they were able to find success no matter where they ran the ball. And that really sticks out to me that not only were the running backs executing, but the offensive line was executing. And also you can add to mention Shanahan had their number, had Cincinnati's number. He was making mm-hmm. the right calls at the right time. It all came together. And that's what it takes to have a 259 yards rushing for a team. I mean, that's an amazing number and, Anytime a team that gets 259 yards rushing in a game, they're going to win. I mean, that's a sign of a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to add to the next-gen stats, uh, we should actually put graphs on this, too, on, on, on Twitter, man. We should like get the actual graphs themselves and like put them out there, right? We keep referencing that, and like <laughs> it would be nice for people to see what we're talking about. But trust us, we, know, we, we are conveying the correct message, right? Just trust us. But speaking of those next-gen stats, last year, Matt Breida he actually had the fastest uh, acceleration, like the same sort of uh, metric that they, you just mentioned about Debo. They did that for running backs and Matt Breida was actually the fastest in the league. Um, and he reached the peak. Uh, I believe it was 25 or 24 point something miles per hour. Don't quote me on that, but he was, he was tops. Uh, he was top 10 in rushes of 20 yards or more. Uh, he would have run for a thousand yards if he didn't get hurt. So, they they're really sleeping on this backfield. And if there's something that we know about the Shanahan's is that they don't need a first round pick running back like number one pick to, to do something, to make something out of them. Like all those running backs in Denver that they had that were late round picks or undrafted free agents, like obviously Terrell Davis, Peyton Hillis, Olandis Gary, even Clinton Portis, is a second round pick, like all Mike Anderson, all these guys, the list, the list goes on. They were never highly touted coming out of college. I mean, maybe Portis was, but he shared a backfield with McGahee and Gore. Right. So, the Niners don't need that sort of 
Ezekiel Elliott type running back to make things work, right? Like there was a there was chatter about them trading for Melvin Gordon when when Tevin Coleman went down. That's that's never going to happen. They don't need that. They don't need a guy of that stature, right? They can make it work with the guys that they have. Now that being said, you mentioned the offensive line, and I want to start with the Staley injury, and that's huge. He he broke his his uh, uh, his leg today, and uh, he is going to be out for up to eight weeks. They say he's not a, he's not gonna, probably not going to end the season on IR. He'll probably be back, but I think that they'll probably, in the time that he's gone, they're definitely going to miss him. My gut says that McGlinchey will slide over to the left side, and uh, I, I don't know if they want um, the rookie to play right tackle, uh, but they may make a trade here to to bring somebody in, like a veteran. I, I don't think it's going to be Trent Williams, and I know you you want to talk about that, but I don't think they're going to make a trade to bring a veteran in for the entire season. It'll be a stopgap until Staley gets back and then McGlinchey can go back to the right side. Right. And, and just a quick note, uh, McGlinchey, I don't think will be swapping it. And Shanahan essentially said that in the post game saying, I'm a liar. He didn't want to, uh, pretty much make two replacements. He doesn't want to have two people on his offensive line changing. And, And that swap is, I think more complicated than, a lot of fans realize it's not as simple as swapping to the left side. Uh, a lot of your responsibilities change and things like that. Plus, coming up this next week, TJ Watt is the Pittsburgh Steelers' best pass rusher. He rushes to the right tackle. So it would make more sense to leave McGlinchey over there. And mm-hmm. with him being so young and just now coming into his own, I think it makes sense to probably leave him over there and not mess with him, especially with Staley still coming back. I think if it was a season-ending injury, it would make more sense to swap him over there. But with Staley coming back, you don't want to have McGlinchey play right tackle for two games, left tackle for you know six to eight weeks, and then go back to right tackle. Mm-hmm. Being a young player, that would be a hard transition to make. So it's been, I mean, he didn't flat out say McGlinchey will be the right tackle, but he essentially put the kibosh on McGlinchey swapping. But I think you are right in that it will be a stopgap. Whether that's somebody that's been on the team and was released like a Sam Young, or if they go out and find one of the vets that hasn't been signed, one of the ones that I know is out there is Jeremy Parnell. He's, uh, I think he's about 33 years old, but he was a starter for the last five or six years in Jacksonville. Used to be a pretty darn good starter, and then last year fell off heavily. Didn't have a good year at all last year, which is why he's a free agent and still out there, but he was a quality starter for quite a few years. Somebody that could maybe come in and has that starting experience uh, might be a better option than Sam Young. Who knows uh, with them needing a specific fit for that running system. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I, I'm not overly familiar with Parnell other than just a little bit I read about him. So I'm not sure if he fits the system, but he's just somebody that has a lot of starting experience that's out there that could be at least brought in for a tryout uh, in addition to Sam Young obviously being the option. But it is a big worry with Staley being gone, especially with that being the blind side for Jimmy Garoppolo. And you don't want to see him get hit any more than he has to. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I had an argument with somebody that I'll I'll leave nameless on Twitter right after the Staley injury because he was immediate in saying they better trade for Trent Williams. Well, it doesn't make any sense. What is Trent Williams holding out for? Now, some people have speculated, oh, it's not about contract. It's that he doesn't trust that team or training staff, you know, because they they made him go in with the injury and kind of downplayed his injury. Well, 
that might be part of it, but it's the contract. That's what Ian Rappaport reported. That's what Jake Rudin said it was. He said in the preseason that it was uh, the business side of football that was keeping him away. He wants to be paid like the number one tackle in the league, and he's somebody that can command that type of contract. If you trade for him, he's going to have all the leverage in the world to get that contract. And that was something that was even said by the person. You don't have to give him a contract. He has two years left on his current one. Well, he's not going to report. He's already accepting thousands, if not millions at this point, in fines for not reporting and not being there. You think you're going to trade for him and he's just going to magically show up? No. You're going to have to give him a record-setting deal. And if you give him that, how in the world can you afford to re-sign all the players you have to re-sign, like mm-hmm. DeForest Buckner? It means getting rid of somebody. And it doesn't make sense because at the end of the season, Staley will be back. What do you do then? You got McGlinchey, you got Staley, and you got Trent Williams. What do you do? It doesn't make any sense to trade for somebody of that caliber. That doesn't mean they don't trade for somebody that's currently starting on a bad team that doesn't really care to keep them because they're not looking to win this season or know that they're already out of it. They could do that, but that's somebody that would be pretty easy to say, well, then you sw- you slide into that swing tackle backup spot because you're not that good of a starter to begin with. you know. But they can't afford to acquire somebody that's going to take up that much of a salary cap space. And some people will say, well, the Niners have plenty of salary cap space. Not really, not in reality. That salary cap space has been spent on Quan Alexander, on D Ford, you know, acquiring guys like that, spending that much on them. The salary cap space that is left is needed for re-signing the Niners players that are currently here Mm -hmm. and are deserving of a new contract. I already mentioned you know, Buckner is the big one that everybody's still talking about. But there are others. So that leaves the Niners with, yes, they're going to have a hole at left tackle. There's there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. It doesn't matter who they get, assuming it, they don't go for Trey Williams, which is definitely not their MO, in my opinion, uh, for the John Lynch and Shanahan. But assuming they don't get a super great starter, there's going to be a hole there, and it's something the Niners are going to have to deal with. Shanahan's going to have to alter his offense once again. You know, I would expect if it's as bad as it could be, which it certainly could be a train wreck on the left side over there. If it's that bad, there's going to be a lot of rollouts to the right side with, you know, to McGlinchey's side and things like that. There are things you can do to limit it. You can't eliminate it, but you can limit it. And that's what I expect Shanahan to do. Does the offense take a hit? Of course. It won't be as efficient. It'll be a little bit more limited on how it can run. Running to the outside on the on the left might not be as viable of an option. And teams will know that. They'll adjust to that. But the offense could still be very good. It's not like the offense is going to suddenly turn into a pumpkin, in my opinion. I think they could still be amongst the best offenses and still move the ball consistently at least from what I've seen. And and it's not like they finished the game horribly either. Granted, by that point, Cincinnati was kind of, you know, ready to quit. But they will do well enough. It's a Shanahan offense. They still have Garoppolo. They still have the running backs. The wide receivers are coming on. They still have Kittle. It's not the end of the world. Staley will be back in time for the end of season run. And that's really where I kind of am hoping Staley can come back for. We've mentioned it in the last two podcasts. 
those last six weeks are brutal for the 49ers. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's when I hope he can get back. Get back right when that schedule turns into a nightmare. Well, they also have the bye coming up too, right? So they'll have an extra week to plan for this. And I think that a guy like Sam Young is probably most likely to to make it just because they have a specific offensive lineman they have in mind when running a Shanahan type offense, a guy that's, they're, they're not huge guys that can run and pull and get out there and lead block uh, for this zone blocking sort of scheme. So I think that a guy who knows the system already may be the, the, the best sort of way to go. This is why the Sean Coleman injury during the preseason was huge. I didn't think it was that big, yeah. but it turns out to be a huge one. So um, it'll be interesting. One of the things to watch going forward, how they, design plays around this or to try to mitigate the, the risk of having a backup left tackle in and a guy who's going to be blocking, obviously, like you said, Jimmy's blind side, whether they decide to chip more on that side or decide to, to put an extra tight end on the field, we'll see. And um, I'm kind of interested to see how Kyle does that. He's, he's a very creative play caller. So it, I have no doubt that they'll have some sort of plan for it, but it's just what what's going to happen. So uh, that's something to watch. Now, moving over to the defensive side of the ball. This defense is putting on a show through two weeks of the season. I'm kind of upset that they gave up that last touchdown to John Ross. I mean, first of all, the guy that was playing in the fantasy had John Ross, so I was like, what the hell? And the second <laughs> is the, the, the fact that they would have allowed uh, 10 points this game, and, and that's, uh, that would have been 10 points in back-to-back games that they've allowed. And really, the, it's, you're seeing a defense kind of starting to gel, and, and you're seeing Richard Sherman be more vocal, and you're seeing... Nick Bosa get after the quarterback. He didn't have any sacks today or even register a tackle, but he was, he was at, at some points he was getting back there and, and he's eventually got to convert those into sacks. But really like we had Solomon Thomas get a sack at some point and Ronald Blair and DeForest Buckner got his first sack of the year. So the, the, the defensive line is playing a lot better than it has in years past. And I think that's because of the additions of, of D Ford and Nick Bosa having to, to double one of them or, or having to go one-on-one with one of them with a running back or a tight end. It's just, it's just not going to work for the offense. It's a numbers game, right? So I, I, I want to touch on that really quickly, but the place I really want to touch on is in the linebacking core. And in my opinion, the most important defensive acquisition this offseason for the 49ers has been Quan Alexander. He had the pick today. He almost had the pick last week. We know he got kicked out because of a BS penalty that, that shouldn't have happened. But he had a pick. Uh, on Sunday against the against the Bengals, that was just he ran the route for that Bengals receiver. Like he was <laughs> running about for him. He ended up basically breaking on the ball, making the catch on the sideline like, as if he was the receiver. And the leadership that he's bringing, he made a couple of other of other nice tackles for loss later on in the game, and all of that stuff piled in one. He's he's looking like that Pro Bowl player that he was before that ACL injury. And I'm really glad that he's next to Fred Warner because between those two you're going to start seeing a really dynamic linebacking duo. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how uh, invisible Fred Warner's been in this week two game. You know, he was around in in week one just because Quan Alexander was out, but that's not a knock on Fred Warner. He's played well. It's just Quan Alexander is everywhere. Fred Warner's been doing his responsibilities, and because he's doing that, it's freed up Quan Alexander to get the tackles in the run game. And then obviously in the past game, Quan Alexander's just showing off his athleticism and showing that he can be basically, I don't like bringing it up, but he can be the Bobby Wagner of this defense. 
we have a clone of the Seattle defense. And to make it run, you need a Bobby Wagner. And that's Quan Alexander. He is playing so incredibly well. I posted on Twitter during the game that it's games like today or games like Sunday's games that will elevate Quan Alexander to an all pro. He's been a pro bowler once, but if he plays like he did on Sunday, he'll be an all pro. And that is crazy to think that he's at that level already with the knee injury he suffered. I mean, he really came back very well from that knee injury to be doing this in week two. It it just shows the potential of this defense. And I should say also with that defensive line to transition back to the defensive line, you know, D4 does have an injury, the severity of it, not known at the time of this recording. It to me didn't seem all that serious considering he wasn't ruled out right away. He was more of a questionable from what I saw uh, the rest of the game, but in his steed was Ronald Blair. And I thought he really showed in this game. He was getting consistent pressure. He was really wrecking havoc on the Cincinnati's offense. And that to me shows even if D Ford has a series injury, the Niners are going to be just fine. Mm-hmm. I think so. And it was a uh, knee slash quad for D Ford. And uh, you know, it comes down to the fact that they have depth at those spots. Like Ronald Blair stepped in today and he was great. And obviously Bosa's there. Uh, he's only a rookie, but you can't, can't count him out. Right. And at the end of the day, this is the deepest position group on the 49ers roster. Right. And they had to cut Dramatre more from that group. And uh, a lot of people didn't like it because they're so deep. But at the end of the day, like this is the group that if there are injuries, they can kind of weather that storm until those injuries get better. And I think that people are realizing more and more that the NFL is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So if a guy sits out a couple of weeks at the beginning of the year, it's not as big of a deal because you're going to need them. Like, like you mentioned, that six-game stretch at the end of the year is brutal. And there are some losses coming in that stretch, unfortunately. right? I, I really, I'm not trying to be pessimistic here and rain on the parade, but you want to stack up as many wins as you can in these first 10 weeks of the, of the year. And they've got two already. And it's it was super exciting to see the defense flying around today. And specifically, uh, Akela Witherspoon is another guy that I really, really am enjoying watching the, the transformation he's had in these first two games. Again, like I want to see him do it more and be more consistent, but he did have the the drop, probably most likely pick six in the game on Sunday. Uh, and and the Bengals ended up benefiting off that because he had he kicked the ball in that five yard penalty for delay. <laughs> Those mental things, like yeah, that's that's fixable. But his performance on the field has has been night and day since last year. He was benched last year. He was hurt and then came back and then benched and then hurt again. Um, so I don't know what he did this off season. What effect Richard Sherman has had on him, but he <laughs> looks great. And you're seeing a guy on the outside that you can depend on. Like they matched him up against John Ross today for much of the day, and he actually shot him down in college, which is something that a lot of people don't know. When he was at the Colorado State. Uh, John Ross and, and UW went over there and, and uh, he totally shut him down in one of his signature college games and he did it again today. Uh, what, it, what I'm kind of worried about, and I know you have th- some thoughts on this too, what I'm kind of worried about is the slot corner position. Quan Williams did not have a good game today. He's probably had one of his worst games that he has had as a 49er on Sunday against the Bengals. Um, I think that with the return of Jason Verrett 
uh, that'll, that may change. And, and I mean, I just want to know your thoughts, thoughts on that, man. Yeah. I mean, to say Quan Williams had a bad game is putting it lightly. I mean, he, he, oh, did really just, Quan Alexander? Or, sorry, did I say Quan Alexander? Quan oh, Williams. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, under the weather today, dude. It's, it's been a long day for me, but uh, Quan Williams had, had a, had a rough day today. If I said Quan Alexander, it was Quan Williams. Yeah, I'm not actually sure, but yeah, Quan Williams had a rough day as a slot corner, and it really brings an interesting question. Uh, I do want to say before we launch into this, it, it's probably the only negative the defense had in this game. So don't think that we're saying the defense played horribly or this is a huge thing. But Quan Williams as the slot corner, it certainly seems like his days are numbered, and his days might already be up with how he played on Sunday. Because as we mentioned, Jason Verrett, he was a healthy scratch today, reportedly. Well, I think that might have just been because they didn't want to risk him re-injuring. They would rather play it safe. But now with Quan Williams and an extra week of rest for Verrett, certainly seems like Verrett might be stepping in and have a shot at that role. And if he doesn't, we saw Jimmy Ward play the slot corner position, and he played it pretty well the little we saw in, in preseason. So with that, that's two people. They certainly seem like they're capable of playing it better than Quan Williams. And yes, both of those players are injury prone, but you got two of them. And it's not like Quan Williams can't be pushed back into that role if needed, or a DJ Reed who did have a nice pass breakup uh, in Sunday's game against Cincinnati. To me, I, at this point, I would say there's pretty good odds that Quan Williams is a healthy scratch next week. And either Jason Verrett or both him and Jimmy Ward dress and play that slot corner role against Pittsburgh, which would be a pretty big role because they have Juju who plays in the slot at times and they have James Washington, who's a speed freak out of that slot position. Now that offense hasn't necessarily been clicking and they could very well be down. Ben Roethlisberger certainly seems like it at this point, but it's too early to tell as of this recording, but they do have the receivers. So it is kind of an important role and Quan Williams just, he hasn't stepped up to the plate, in my opinion, and I think it's time to replace him. Now, before we get to the Steelers, and and there is some interesting news surrounding Ben Roethlisberger and his health, uh, I, I want to say really quick touch on safeties. And, and Tarverius Moore had a, had a pretty good game today. He took one bad angle uh, on, a, on a long gain to Tyler Boyd, I believe. But other than that, he has been looking the part, and I think that's his job to lose now. I think that that they're pretty comfortable with him back there. And that's his natural position anyway. So when it comes down to it, there was some talk about Minka Fitzpatrick of the Dolphins being available. And I, I think that that would be a great trade for the, for the 49ers to make, just send them the next year's first rounder, because if you're going to draft a safety in the first round, anyways, you may as well get some guy who's a stud like Fitzpatrick, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I think the safety position is, is a little bit uh, a more solidified as the weeks kind of progress. So super happy to see that. Yeah. yeah, and somebody like Mika Fitzpatrick, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to trading for him because he is a great talent, but there is a learning curve to this defense, and specifically that safety position. The Niners have been running a very uh, special way with their safeties. Basically, the safeties need to be interchangeable because both of them, they might start out in too deep, and sometimes they stay in too deep like a normal you know, safeties would. But a lot of times, one of them moves up closer to the line of scrimmage and either helps in the slot, ends up covering somebody in man coverage, covers his own, or goes after the rusher. And 
they're interchangeable. It's not always the strong safety that's coming up to the line of scrimmage for the 49ers. Those safety positions have been really rather interchangeable, and that's part of what makes the defense harder to read is that the two safeties, both of them at any time, could either stay deep or drop. And for somebody like Minka Finpatrick, I think he would be certainly capable of that, but that's also a wrinkle to a defense that makes it more complicated for a safety than just going in and say, hey, you're free safety, play over the top and don't let anything pass you. So I think it would be, a, to me, a big surprise if the Niners are one of the teams reportedly interested because it's just not their MO. And Shanahan, to me, it, I would say his MO is, as long as everything's going well, I don't need to make a change. And the defense has been going well. And like you said, Tavarius Moore has stepped up to the plate and looked the part. So I just don't see them wanting to pursue that. Yeah, and I think that to that point of not being the 49ers MO, like they don't make these types of trades, right? Like I, I like to think that they'll make a trade if there's somebody falling into their lap, like the way that Jimmy Garoppolo fell into their lap uh from the Patriots and the way that D Ford fell into the lap from from the Chiefs or getting rid of D Ford because he wasn't a scheme fit. I think that they don't they, they like to play it safe with that sort of stuff. So I don't think the trade's gonna happen. Um but that being said, we have some game balls to hand out, and I'll let you go first. Since I went first last week, I'll, I'll do the gentlemanly thing, and you, will, you can go first this week. Well, I think I know who you would pick, so I'll go ahead and stay off him so, so that you're <laughs> able to pick him. <laughs> but I'll go ahead, and I'll select Debo Samuel. Uh, did he have the best game ever? No. Did he have 100 yards like Matt Breida did? No. But he provided the weapon the Niners needed at the wide receiver position. Uh, and Goodwin was right there with him, I should mention. But I'm going to give it to Debo because he stepped up as a rookie. He showed his ability after the catch. And I think him being that weapon on the outside really helped open up that offense. All right, so I'm actually going to throw a curveball here. You thought I was going to go with Jimmy, but I'm actually going to go with Kyle Shanahan. He gets my game ball this week. Oh, I he, thought you were going Quan Alexander. So <laughs> hey, well, we're, we're, we're totally off then, right? Like <laughs> Samsonite, I was way off. Right? <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go Kyle Shanahan because he dialed up the perfect game today. Aside from the one play before the end of the half where it was third and 12 and he tried to get Jimmy to throw for the first down, they could have got maybe a couple yards uh, by running the ball. But they ended up throwing it and ended up having to punt. But shout out to Mitch Wisnowski, by the way. Fantastic punt to pin the Bengals deep right before the end of the half on their own one-yard line. Fantastic. Great job there. So, And I want, to, I want to mention while we mention him, I used to watch it with my father when I was a little kid and it used to be on TV. I haven't seen it on TV in forever, but I just swapped how I get my cable, if you will. I went to a streaming service and I get Fox Sports 2 and they had a Australian rules football on the other day and I watched it just because one, I used to watch it and two Mitch Wisnowski, I sat there and going, and I think I even made a Twitter post. If you want to, if you want to see why he's able to do all the crazy kicks he can and has so much in his, in his bag in terms of the type of kicks he can make, go ahead and turn it on. Uh, and yeah, you, you can definitely see it when you watch it. So I just wanted to mention I actually watched Australian Rules football the other day. There you go. Shout out to Australia right there. <laughs> uh, so Kyle Shanahan, yeah, he, he was great. I thought that he 
mixed the run in the past so well today and he found weaknesses in that Bengals defense and he ended up exploiting every single one of them like after the game the Bengals players were quoted as saying that they threw everything out his trick plays Dante Pettis had a throw today to to he most hurt that that was a little screen pass little kind of nice wrinkle in the in the Kyle Shanahan offense but really like he called the best game that I've seen him call uh, since he's been a member of the San Francisco 49ers on, on Sunday against the Bengals. So super happy about that. He gets my game ball. So now we got a game against Pittsburgh and we don't know whether Ben Roethlisberger is going to play as of the recording of the show, he was going to have an MRI done on his elbow. He got hurt against Seattle uh, on Sunday and he, he didn't end up finishing the game. Now, if he doesn't play, on Sunday against the 49ers, the whole outlook of that game and possibly the 49ers season changes because as we all know, it is the 49ers home opener at Levi's. And as we all know, they are two and out and the Steelers are struggling right now. They lost to the, the Patriots pretty handily, although Tom Brady owns them in, in new England, which is fine, but they ended up losing to Seattle by two points and Mason Rudolph who's the backup isn't exactly Ben Roethlisberger, let's, let's say that. So you have a great opportunity here if you're the 49ers to go 3-0. And you have a great opportunity to build something that will take you through all the injuries to, to guys like D. Ford and Joe Staley and, and whatever may be long-term, uh, Trent Taylor, all these guys that are going to come back later on in the season. You have a chance to build kind of all of this savings, if you will, uh, in case the, the middle of the season or end of the season gets rough. So. I really hope that the fans show up on Sunday at Levi's ready to rock. I want to see minimal Steelers fans there. I want to see 49ers fans scream their heads off. I want to see a raucous environment for this 2-0 team. Pittsburgh has a ton of weapons. They have Connor. They have Juju. They've got all sorts of gadgets and things that they run on offense, right? Like they've, they, We know that reputation. James Washington is, is a really polished receiver. So... When it comes down to it, the talent level is there from Pittsburgh, but if Ben doesn't play, everything changes. Their defense gives up a ton of points. They gave it 28 on Sunday to the Seahawks, who are, who are not that great of an offense. They gave up 33 on opening night to the, 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 the New England Patriots, and even if that's Tom Brady, like they got absolutely destroyed. So this particular game in this particular matchup in this particular season with Ben Roethlisberger being out and Jimmy kind of getting more comfortable with the offense and the 49ers defense playing so well, I've got to go with the, with the 49ers here. And I think that they're going to win the game. It's going to be one of those games where it may turn into a, a shootout, but I think the Niners are going to win the, their home opener. I'm going to say 30 to 24. All right. Well, it should be mentioned, uh, James Conner is not a guarantee for this game either. He got injured late in that game, uh, apparent knee injury, and he's going to be evaluated later. So it really could be a completely depleted uh, Steelers team, but uh, that's to be determined. But I think even if both Big Ben and James Conner play, I would pick the 49ers. Just the, the way the franchises are trending are opposite directions right now. It certainly seems like the Steelers are headed to a rebuild, their first rebuild in who knows how long? I mean, that, they didn't really ever rebuild during Cowers' 
tenure and they haven't rebuilt during Mike Tomlin's either, but it certainly seems like they're headed that way. And to, to make a point, you know, you talked about the fans showing up. I think the Steelers fans know this team doesn't have it and is headed towards that rebuild. And the reason I say that is I saw a post, Joe Fan used to write for the 49ers. He now writes for the Seahawks. The Seahawks played in Pittsburgh, and he made a comment that he was shocked at how few Steelers fans and how many empty seats there were for that game in week two. And that, to me, tells you the fans know that franchise isn't right, that there's discord in that franchise, and it's time to blow it up. So I don't expect them to be showing up in San Francisco. There should be no reason for the crowd to be having a lot of Pittsburgh yellow, terrible towels, or whatever you want to put out there. It should be a very big Niners pro crowd, which really should never be a question for a home game, but you know Mm -hmm. how it is in Santa Clara and how it has been, which a lot of that's just because they've been losing. Um, But as far as the game goes, I do think the Niners match up quite well. The Pittsburgh defense, to put it frankly, they're, they're not good. They, they're not what they used to be. They have a few bright spots on that defense, but as a whole, the unit is just not very good at all, and they're especially susceptible to the pass. Their corners are very bad. I, I was watching a little bit of that game and kind of paying attention to it a little bit, and uh, that, that was a lot of the comments from, you know, the experts on Twitter, if you want to call them that, and different scouts and the commentators during the game were talking about the Pittsburgh corners are just not very good. Well, that should help the 49ers get those wide receivers going. But they're also, other than TJ Watt and their rookie linebacker, there's really not much on that defense. The mm-hmm. Niners should be able to still run the ball. They should be able to pass the ball. The offense should be able to carry that game, even if the defense, for whatever reason, gets torched by the James Washingtons, the Juju Smith-Schusters. You know, they do have still a lot of talent at the skill positions offensively. The offensive line's not so good, which again matches up well for the Niners because the defensive line is so great for the Niners. But even if the Niners have a bad showing defensively, the offense has no excuse for not having a great showing so to me, I think it's not even going to be all that close of a game. Uh, it just kind of, it's kind of fallen into the Niners' laps with all the injuries the Steelers are having and all the turmoil they're having in that franchise. For the Niners to be able to get that win and get into the bye week in a dream scenario of three and zero. As far as a score prediction, I'm going to predict that it's a quicker game in terms of I think the Niners are going to run the ball, try to keep that clock going. So the score won't get as high as it did in Cincinnati, but I still think the Niners are going to win, and I'm going to go with 31 to 13. All right, that would be another 30 plus point game. Both of us have predicted that, so hopefully that happens. And if not, at least hopefully the Niners the Niners win. I, I as the weeks move forward, I'm gaining more and more confidence in this team. I think that they're the way that they came out on Sunday and, and they absolutely thrashed the Bengals and the week before they were really, really resilient against the Buccaneers. Like not every victory is going to be the same, right? Some, some weeks you'll have to be resilient. Some weeks you'll coast to it. Some weeks it'll be kind of in the middle where it's back and forth. I think that 
this team is learning how to win and, and the wins are coming early. And if they can go into the bye week, like we're predicting at three, no, it's going to be huge. And a lot of people around the league are going to take some notice because last year the Niners were a really trendy pick. And on top of that, the division race, like the NFC West is the best division in all of football. Like the, the, the worst team in that division is Arizona and they're Oh, one and one. Like they, they don't even, they're not even Oh, and two yet. So the other three teams are all two and Oh, and freaking Seahawks. Like they, Find a way every week to pull it out. Like I mean, they, they, the 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 first week they won by a point against this very same Bengals team. Uh, at the at the very end, when Andy Dalton couldn't come back and lead them to a, a winning field goal drive, and they won on Sunday against an injured Pittsburgh team. It just seems like that's what they do, right? They take advantage of these things, and credit to them for doing that. But man, like just they they just won't go away, right? So this is one of the teams that the Niners will have to beat. And to me, to really say that you have arrived, you got to go up to Seattle in December and you've got to win that game. That to me is going to be like, okay, we have arrived. This is the stamp that says we have done something that nobody since Alex Smith in 2011 has been able to do. And that's beat Seattle in Seattle. And I'm going to be looking forward to that game and we'll see how the season plays out, but we'll see if that game turns into jockeying for a playoff spot or not. Right? Like we'll see what the Niners do, but that to me, You've got to win those divisional games. You've got to at least split with Seattle and LA. So when it comes down to it, really, like there's there's a lot there's a tough road ahead. And if you're three and that road becomes a little bit easier. Right, and we we've talked about that in a couple of recent podcasts, and I mentioned it earlier in the show and talking about Staley and hoping it returns for those final six weeks. The end of the season for the Niners is going to be tough. Don't get overly confident if you're a Niners fan. The Niners could be 3-0 and and still be looking like a you know 50-50 shot at playoffs because the end-of-season schedule is so daunting. They need as many wins as they can get earlier, early in this season. You know, I, I said before the season they needed to get both of these easy wins starting out 2-0 and because this, the uh, schedule gets so difficult. Well, they're 2-0. Now I'm saying they need to get to 3-0. They can get to 3-0, get to that bye week, get some players fully healthy, you know, like a Nick Bosa's kind of playing dinged up right now. Uh, supposedly re-injured his ankle prior to this week two game, and that's why he didn't practice uh, for most of the week prior to week two. You know, get him fully healthy. Get the Jason Verrett's fully healthy. Get the Jimmy Ward's fully healthy, knock on wood there. Um, and then the Niners can really be set up to take off, try to get to great playoff positioning you know get into the mid mid-season part being six and two maybe even seven one then the Niners will be looking like a team that is a near lock for the playoffs but it's really going to take getting to that middle point of the season and being six and two or seven and one don't get overconfident about two and all there's still a lot to be played and there's still some dangerous games out there this Pittsburgh game seems to be lining up well but don't overlook it you know yeah the bye week's coming but you got to get this win with as dinged up and as much turmoil as Pittsburgh has right now. And there we have it. Another, another victory podcast, man. These are, these are fun, right? <laughs> this is your first, first year doing this and we're doing victory podcasts in the first two weeks. This is, I mean, this is how it goes all the time, right? Just so you know, this is what well, it does with me, with me. This is how it goes. This is true. Yeah. You're the good luck charm, right? So yeah, we, we are 11 is two and oh officially in regular season podcasts. So uh, let's, let's try to make that a three now. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens next week. So, um, with that being said, um, I think that when it comes to, 
the the road ahead, like there there are going to be some losses, right? We know that we we're not being uh, homers here. We know that they're going to lose some games, right? They could they could end the season zero and six, right? In those last six games, I don't think they will, but we really don't know what the rest of the season holds, especially with Staley being out and stuff. But I think that really what I'm looking forward to is, is growth and progression that I've seen in these first two weeks. Right. So it's going to be super, super exciting to see. So man, anything else you wanted to, uh, to address before we sign off here? No, I'm just ready for week three. There we go. So for 11 black, I am Zane Nackvi, and this has been another episode of the 49ers web zone, no huddle podcast presented by the QB sneak.com. See you guys.